Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's program, Olympic and rowing world champion Mahi Drysdale announces he'll be back for a fourth Olympic campaign. New Zealand cricket tries to draw a line under the Black Caps' captaincy debacle. We look at the winners and losers from the latest high-performance sports funding announcement. Mountain biker Anton Cooper explains why he's off to Europe. Badminton launches a new competition, and we talk to a Christchurch Wushu world champion. The first question being, just what's Wushu? The world and Olympic single skulls rowing champion Mahi Drysdales decided he wants a third Olympic medal and will be back for the 2016 Games in Rio. The 34-year-old Drysdale will take a six-month break from the sport and return to trials in July next year hoping to gain a boat selection for the 2013 World Champs in South Korea in August. Drysdale says after 12 years and three consecutive Olympic campaigns, it's time to take some time out from rowing to recharge physically and mentally. He intends to stay fit by training for the coast-to-coast and completing an Ironman in May. Drysdale spoke to Barry Guy about just what's keeping him in the sport. It was a, a big call, um, and you know it took, it took a, a long time to, to come to it. But um, you know I'm, I'm pretty uh, pretty happy with my decision, and um, you know I'm, I'm confident that I can uh, can perform uh, to the level that I need to, uh, to to perform. You know to to my ability, I guess in in Rio. Are there still things to achieve? Uh, yes, I believe so. Um, you know, obviously I, I wouldn't have come back if if I thought I was I was finished. So. Um, yeah, I think uh, I'd love to, to win a, a second Olympic gold medal. Um, you know, I'd love to, to pick up a few more world championships along the way. So, you know, it's, it's something that, um, you know, I've, I'm still competitive. I, you know, I, I guess uh, that Billy Webb race um, at the beginning of December, you know, showed that you know, I, I still wanted to win um, when I got out there, and that was obviously very important. Um, and, you know, I, I still had the ability to, to do well. So, yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting decision. I, I love rowing. Um, it's uh, an awesome sport. And you know, while I'm I'm not quite ready to go back to the uh, six days a week, um, you know, training regime. Um, you know, I think after a six month break, I'll be uh, more than ready and and looking forward to it. Is it that competitive streak that athletes like yourself have? It you know just keeps you going. Um, oh, for sure, and and you know, once you start to lose that edge, then um, you know that's when it's time to to give the sport away. So, you know, it's it's um, it's it's exciting. I've I've got a few different challenges um, ahead in the the next few months, but um, you know, those those are also excite me, and and uh, you know, it's going to be a good way to sort of uh, force me back into training. What is it about rowers? I mean, Sir Steve Redgrave went through what five, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, you know, it's an endurance sport, so you can you can continue on, um, you know, into into later life, and uh, you know, it's something that uh, really looking forward to um, to being there. And a sabbatical, you know, uh, Richie McCaw wants to refresh himself. This is something uh, similar for Mahi Drysdale, is it? 
Yeah, it is. It's um, yeah. I, I guess I looked at at Rio and and how um, you know, what I I thought I had to do and and how um, I had to prepare myself. Um, and this is this is the way that I thought was the you know made made the most sense for me. Um, and would get me through that that four years and and obviously um, you know committed to training uh, to the level that you need to be. Just point out though that I suppose nothing's guaranteed here, is it? Oh no, for sure. And um, you know that's that's uh, the rowing way, um, and and you know I wouldn't want it any other way. So um, you know I've been given an opportunity to trial uh, in in July, um, and I'll have to come back and, and prove myself to the selectors. And, and you know they're not going to um, they're not going to take it easy on me. Um, you know they've they've uh, set the standards there that I need to to achieve, um, and obviously that's that similar standards to, to what I've achieved, you know, over the, the past few years. So, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy, um, and, and I'm, uh, I'm ready for that challenge, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going into it with uh, my eyes wide open and, and know that um, it's going to take a, a lot to, um, to get back to, to where I need to be, but I'm confident I can do that, and, and I'm confident that I can, uh, you know, compete with distinction in Rio. Have you had uh, plenty of time sitting on the couch, have you? I see you're not just going to relax here. You're training for the coast-to-coast and an Ironman. Yeah, well, I have I have had a bit of time on the couch and uh, I have managed to put on a bit of weight since the Olympics. So, um, you know, I, I'm ready to now get back out training, um, you know, not necessarily be tied into to Carapero every single day for, for the next, um, you know, four years. So, you know, that's part of that break, Um and when I commit in July, then then I'm back, uh, you know, six days a week, uh, 11 months a year down at Carapero. Uh And I see you want to also participate in the uh, New Zealand uh, PGA Golf. I mean, is that a hidden talent that we don't know too much about? <laughs> uh, I love golf. Um, I, I wouldn't say it's a, a huge hidden talent. Um, you know, it's, it's something I, I enjoy, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm not... Uh, not as good as that as I am at rowing, unfortunately. But um, no, really looking forward to, to getting out and and playing. Um, yeah, I'll be be uh, one of the the amateurs in the in the pro am. So um, yeah, it should be a, a a great tournament. So generally, are you are you you happy that this has now been decided and you know you're relaxed or you know what what are your sort of feelings? I'm I'm very happy, very excited. Um, you know, it's it's been a big call. It's it's. Obviously, um, you know it's, it's been uh, weighing on my mind. So, you know, a huge weight off my shoulders now, knowing I've I've got a decision, um, knowing that that now I can go ahead and, and plan, um, you know, my next four years, and um, that's that's exciting. And obviously, these these challenges along the way um, are, are things that that I'm really looking forward to and and uh, excited about, um, you know, trying some different things. That's Olympic and rowing world champion Mahi Drysdale talking to Barry Guy. New Zealand cricket's refusing to rule out taking disciplinary action against those involved in the sacking of Ross Taylor as Black Caps captain. In the fallout from Taylor's sacking, coach Mike Hesson has maintained he only wanted to replace Taylor as one day in 2020 captain, but Taylor says Hesson indicated he was to be replaced as test captain too. The Chief Executive of New Zealand Cricket, David White, says they've now studied all the information provided following the change in captaincy, and he doesn't believe Taylor was lied to. In the wake of criticism from former players over the debacle, White says New Zealand Cricket will hold a former captain's meeting in the new year. 
in an effort to improve the lines of communication. The idea of it is to uh, provide a vehicle for former players to meet and, and discuss with New Zealand cricket their thoughts, views, observations of the game and, and come up with any ideas that they can share with us. And also it will give um, us at New Zealand Cricket an opportunity to communicate with them, to tell them you know, what we're doing, what our plans are, so that we can, we can have good, good dialogue and good debate. The situation with, with that matter, though, was it would appear to be an internal communication problem and not an external one with New Zealand cricket dealing with former players or captains. It's simply it's a problem inside the organisation. I think, I think that that's a fair comment. I think that we have both got external and internal communications that we are, we are addressing immediately. And, um, you know, lessons have been learned and uh, we're looking to improve our communication both internally and externally. This though then may look like window dressing. No I don't see this as window dressing at all I think it's a positive initiative moving forward. What's what's very important here is that we try to bring the cricket family together the New Zealand cricket family together. These these discussions and debates and observations of former players hasn't just happened over the last two weeks this has been happening for a number of years so we're now providing a vehicle for them um, to meet with New Zealand cricket and share their, their thoughts. At that media conference that you and Chris Moller had, you mentioned more information had come to light over the situation with Ross Taylor. What was that information? We, we, we've studied all the information um, since um, before and since that media conference. Uh, we've thoroughly looked at it and we've decided to draw a line under it and we're moving on and now the focus is absolutely on team performance. So did that information bring any new light to the matter? No, not at all. So, you know, we've studied it all. There's no no additional um, information and we're moving on and putting a line underneath it. So where do you get then with the situation? You've effectively had Ross Taylor saying that he was lied to. Well, as far as we're concerned, this is an internal matter now. Uh, Lessons have been learned and we're moving on and putting a line under it. So do you believe that he was lied to? No. We believe this is a case of miscommunication and misunderstanding. So is there going to be in, any internal disciplinary process as a result of this? As I've said before, this, this is an internal matter and we won't be discussing it anymore. So there, there could be? I'm not saying that, Stephen. But that's obviously a possibility. This, this is an internal matter. And yes, lessons have been, learned, have been learned, but we're now focusing on the cricket. How much of a reaming out did you get from Chris Moller over all of this? Oh, it's, it's been a challenging time. Um, you know, we, we work very closely together. Um, huge respect for Chris Moller. But you obviously had to, to take one. Oh, no, not at all. We, we work through issues together and, and um, work on all the issues together. Have you had any conversation with Ross Taylor subsequent to all of this? I've been talking to uh, Ross's manager, Liam McGoldrick, on a daily basis. Um, I've also uh, spoken to Ross and made it very clear to him that we will offer all the support we can to him. We want to get him back on the field as soon as possible, but I've made it very clear to Ross, you know, it's, it's up to him to decide when he wants to come back and play. But in saying that, I'm very confident that he will be back for the England series. I was talking to New Zealand Cricket Chief Executive David White. The latest round of high-performance sports funding has been announced by the government for the next four years with rowing, rugby sevens and equestrian among the biggest winners. Among the major losers are swimming and triathlon. Having failed to win medals in London, both sports have now been downgraded under a new tiered system. And yet those two sports say they're perfectly happy with their lot, while the national body behind another of the big winners, cycling, 
wishes it had received much more. Richard Wayne reports. Swimming received $6.6 million between 2009 and 2012, but will now be financed on a campaign basis, with High Performance Sport New Zealand guaranteeing funding for only the next year of $1.4 million. Swimming's gone through a major upheaval in the last few months with a new constitution, a new board, chair and high-performance director and they're looking for a new chief executive. But the new Swimming NZ chair, Dr Brent Layton, says they got 98% of what they asked for and a one-year funding deal is appropriate following a major review. We asked for uh, an amount that dealt with the programme that we thought was appropriate for each year in the four-year cycle and, of course, the first year, 2013, is not a Commonwealth Games year, not an Olympic year, and is a year in which we do have a world championship, and we've asked for an amount that we thought was appropriate for doing that. Of course, you always want more, but you do have to ask for what you think is both reasonable and appropriate. We will need more money next year, but we know that we will have to perform to get it, and that seems a reasonable requirement for high-performance sport New Zealand to place on us. The high-performance Sport New Zealand Chief Executive, Alex Bauman, makes no excuses for linking funding to podium positions. You have to do well. You know, I've always believed that there's no egalitarianism in in high-performance sport. It is about doing the best that you can and and standing on top of that podium, and you should aim for that. Not that every athlete will, will get there, but I think that should be our aspiration. Really no sport got what they asked for. Cycling will receive the second highest amount of funding, with a $300,000 boost taking its annual income to $3.9 million. That's second only to rowing's $4.6 million. But the chief executive of Bike NZ, Kieran Turner, says it's not enough, and they're a victim of their own success. It is a challenge. We've got 18 different medal opportunities at the Olympics, and we're pretty competitive in 12 of them, yet there's only so much funding to go around. That's one of the challenges that we have to work on as to how we can deliver in that space. It is tough for those riders coming through that are performing really well, and we're just going to have to look at other funding sources as well. I think one of the areas we're going to have to target is a bit more commercial investment into some of those programs. Kieran Turner says cycling will have to cut its cloth to suit, with their top teams perhaps not racing as much overseas as they would have liked. High Performance Sport NZ is centralising some high performance staff under their own roof and handing them back out to the likes of cycling and triathlon, meaning those sports will no longer need to pay those salaries. So the new National Triathlon High Performance Manager, Graham Moore, is more than happy, despite having been reclassified as a Tier 3 sport, with triathlons funding cut by half a million dollars over the next four years. I guess we're looking at a pretty competitive market and I certainly appreciate on their behalf that the overall funding budget hasn't gone up. It's been capped and into that come you know, Rugby Sevens now an Olympic program, the success of women's hockey, etc. So we're in a pretty competitive marketplace and we certainly respect that. High Performance Sport New Zealand Chief Executive Alex Bauman says you can't please everyone and they did the most they could with the funds they had available. And at $62 million over the next four years, High Performance Sport NZ is targeting 14 or more medals at the next Olympic Games in Brazil. Richard Wayne with that report. The young Canterbury mountain biker Anton Coopers secured his future for the next couple of years after signing with a new professional team. This year, the 18-year-old became the first ever New Zealander to win a UCI cross-country mountain bike world championship when he took out the junior title in September. 
Cooper was forced to explore alternate options after his previous team, Trek World Racing, decided to forgo their cross-country commitments to focus solely on downhill racing. He signed a two-year deal with the Cannondale Factory Racing Team and will compete as part of Cannondale's under-23 squad based in Germany. Barry Guy asks Cooper why he chose this team. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a really good deal for another 23, and um, it works really well for me, just with uh, being based overseas in Europe, and I think um, if, I need, if I want to improve, that's where I need to be. I need to be in Europe rather than the States or something like that. So um, it works really well, work really well for me, sir, and uh, that's why I've taken it. it. It works for you because that's where all the action is? Yeah, that's where um, the large majority of all the World Cup rounds are this year, and uh, all the big races tend to be uh, based in Europe. Um, America's large as well, but it's not as big. And I, yeah, like I said, for me to improve, I think I need to be based in Europe. And what about the team? What what do they offer as as far as you know? Uh, do you guidance, coaching, training, that sort of thing? Um, the the coaching and training all comes from my side, and it's not um, influenced by the team, um, which is really helpful. And I, I can stick with my same coach, and that's some great uh, biking head high performance helped me out a lot with that as well. And, um, the team is more the, the offshore support, so when I head overseas to the World Cup rounds, so they're my mechanics and my masseuse um, all over there, uh, the chef, the cook, um, the big team set up the trucks, it's all there, so I just fly in and I do my job, which is racing, and I don't worry about the other stuff, so life's made easy in that sense. So your coaching setup is back here, do you just sort of keep in touch with someone? Yeah, yeah, my coach um, I've been with for the last uh, four or five years and I'm sticking with him again next year. He's worked really well for me, so um, I don't see the need to change. You know, he's fix if it's not broke. So um, he's actually in Norway at the moment, but uh, that's fine. You sort of keep in touch online and all's well. Now, I think the last time I spoke to you, I mean, it could have been months ago, you were still just finishing off school. So what's the, the setup been for you recently? Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, finished school and now I'm uh, racing full time. So it's uh, getting into the training and just um, focusing on sort of building up um, through the domestic season here. Um, the first sort of national rounds in uh, early early January and that sort of New Zealand Australian season um, goes right through to March and then I'll head offshore um, for a winter from about April. So and I'll um, stay over there till sort of October with a, a short a short sort of three-week break to come home, just refresh in between. So are you doing, uh, just to give us some background here, to, to mountain biking like Olympic-type distance, dis, distances and that sort of thing? You, you know, Do you still do Karapoti-type events? Um, I, I was planning on doing Karapoti this year, but um, I tend to have got another race on at that, at that time. I can't actually remember what, but I do have something on, so I can't do it. Um, but, yeah, those races are always good, and they are a bit longer and, not quite the same, but they still translate, and uh, something you can do is sort of uh, good base training, and it, it works well in your sort of off season, I guess. And now you're going from under 19 to under 23. I, I imagine it just gets bigger and harder, harder really. Yeah, yeah, it does. You know, stepping up um, into a 40 age bracket, and the guys are all older and a, a bit more mature, so they're all faster as well. So almost like racing elite men. So. Um, it's a bit of a stepping stone in, into elite, and I'm really looking forward to it. So this year, I mean, you didn't go to the Olympics because of you know age and that sort of thing. I, I'm assuming, but that that's um, you know we're just starting a new four year cycle. That's that's on the radar, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, starting heading into Olympics, and um, it's called a hopefully I can flow through with the same team right through to there, and 
we'll go into plan and um, should prepare myself well for Olympics. And I'm assuming Cannondale have some top guys uh, in the elite level. Do you hope to learn something from them? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Marco this year was third at Olympics and uh, Manuel as well. He's been a uh, multiple German national champ and Olympian himself, so I can learn a lot from them. That's New Zealand mountain biker Anton Cooper talking to Barry Guy. The New Zealand Badminton Open returns to the national sporting calendar next April in Auckland as part of a three-tournament programme in Oceania. The event was cancelled this year due to lack of funding, but a naming rights sponsorship from Sky Cities enabled Badminton New Zealand to bring the revamped Open back next year as a Badminton World Federation Grand Prix tournament. More than 300 players from 20 countries are expected to compete for prize money, totalling around $60,000 at the New Zealand Open, which slots in between Australia's Grand Prix Gold Open and the Tahiti International. Richard Wayne went along to the launch. Well, ladies and gentlemen, do we have everybody in? Right. Dick took Lee Chong Wei. First of all, we can have a round of applause, please. Plenty of attention for the world number one men's singles player, Lee Chong Wei of Malaysia, at the NZ Badminton Open launch. He was here on his honeymoon. The Olympic silver medalist is a hot property throughout Asia. His recent wedding was broadcast live, and his attendance at the Sky City launch brought out Asian media and more than 100 fans at an autograph signing session. Chong Wei says Sky City backing the New Zealand Open will help the sport grow here. Because he's uh, a lot of younger players, you see a younger, a lot of players, maybe just now he's uh, want to qualify for next year. And on other two years in the Commonwealth game, yeah, it's very important for this game for New Zealand. Lee Chong-Wei is unlikely to play next year's Open due to a busy schedule, including his home event, the World Mixed Team Championships in Kuala Lumpur. But he's keen to fit it in if he can. I hope so, because uh, next year is a very tight schedule. Because after all England have uh, Suleiman Cup in uh, my home ground in Malaysia, very tough. I hope so I can uh, try my best, see how I can come to New Zealand. Halfway playing, halfway holiday. <laughs> the return of the national tournament is welcome news for the NZ number one, Joe Wu, who's ranked 127th in the world. With this level of tournament, we are not guaranteed to get people like Lee Chong Wei, obviously, but other people from you know Europe and perhaps USA and obviously Asia as well will make the trip down. And because of the sandwich in between the other two tournaments, it's going to be a better chance of better players coming here, definitely. This year's New Zealand Open was cancelled due to financial reasons, so it's actually good to have the tournament back. But also, I think this is quite a big tournament because of it being a minority sport here. So being a $50,000 US tournament is actually quite a big deal for New Zealand in general. But obviously in the future, if possible, it would be good to improve the ranking of the tournament to a higher, higher degree as well. Local badminton players like Wu are part-timers due to their ranking and the sport's low profile here. Wu says it's difficult making ends meet at his level. I've been travelling extensively in the last five or six months, but it's very difficult in New Zealand just because you know we don't get much exposure and therefore we don't get much sponsorship. So you know, players in New Zealand, um, and I'm no exception, we self-fund everything. So there is actually not much support. Actually, there is no support. So yeah, so it's, it's very difficult on the players. And the sort of uh, the sort of deal is bound to help on that all that end of things. Uh, I think it'll help the exposure of the actual sport. It won't be an immediate help to players uh, as such, but obviously if the sport gets more profile, then it's, it's good for the players because in the future, uh, maybe in the next generation, in the big picture, it's, it's, it's definitely good for them. You personally, what's your season for next year? What have you got on the cards? 
I've got 10 plus tournaments actually uh, internationally, but as well as in Oceania as well. So it's actually a very full on, probably the busiest year that I'll have in terms of tournaments uh, next year. So I need to do a lot of planning and you know working around how I'm going to fund myself to these trips. Yes. At the moment, basically, you know, I, I do work because I'm, I'm actually a, a web developer, so I can actually do my work, you know, while I'm on on the run. So I do work overseas as well, but minimal just because, you know, time constraints and stuff, but it's very hard for the individual players as well. That's New Zealand badminton number one, Joe Wu, ending that report from Richard Wayne. Wushu in New Zealand celebrating its latest world champions, but what, may you ask, is Wushu? Wushu is a coverall term for Chinese martial arts, and Christchurch martial arts teacher Dave Thieu won his age group category at the recent world champs for his Tai Chi event, while fellow martial arts teacher David Wong from Auckland also won gold in his age group for a Tai Chi event. Almost 3,000 competitors from 53 countries competed at the tournament, which is held every two years in China. Wushu is one of seven sports bidding to make the 2020 Olympic program, alongside climbing, karate, roller sports, squash, wakeboard, and a joint bid between softball and baseball. I spoke to Dave Thieu and asked him to give me a rundown of the sport. Wushu is really sort of like an umbrella term for Chinese martial arts. Um, and there's many, many sort of different styles, um, you know, in the categories. Um, I compete in the uh, Tai Chi uh, section. Um, there's more more sections like the Shaolin and um, hundreds of different weapons as well. Judo and karate um, have Japanese origins, so this is uh, just sort of like Chinese. Wushu, I guess, literally means like Kung Fu. So um, you have the Shaolin Kung Fu, but then there's many different sort of styles with, within that, um, that school of Kung Fu. Um, and the same with uh, like the Tai Chi, um, you know, we have like the, the Tai Chi 42 um, form and then there's, there's many different like sword forms as well that come under the Tai Chi category and they all sort of fall under that, um, that Wushu umbrella which literally means like Chinese Kung Fu. So does that mean you fight others? Uh, no, no, um, it's more based on... Um, your your skill when when you compete um, there might be like four other people on the um, the mat or carpet at, at the same time um, and you like you know I'm competing in like the four the 42 uh, beer hands Tai Chi form which is the Tai Chi form 42 m- movements um, the other people will be doing the same so what they're doing is you've got judges and, and you're judged. Um, Pretty much from the the moment that you um, you bow and and go onto the carpet, they start sort of marking you. Um, you you're marked on your presentation, um, your balance, your execution um, of movements. Um, you know, even like your expression, your strength, your balance, um, your flow, um, all the all these different things. So even though there might be four of you on the carpet, you're sort of really you're trying to sort of um, you're competing against yourself in a way because you're trying to better, um, you know, from your last performance. Now, Wushu is sort of on the cards to, to get into the Olympics, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. There's two different sort of styles of uh, Wushu. There's uh, contemporary and traditional. Now, I, I compete in the traditional. Contemporary forms um, are... Um, you can sort of like make up your own routine. I suppose you could like it to a little bit more like gymnastics. 
um, where you, you can add in um, like somersaults and, and uh, spinning sort of back kicks in the air and landing in the splits and, and it's very sort of dynamic. Um, so the more sort of um, uh, skill and, and um, difficulty of movement I suppose you could put into a form is you, you gain more points from that. Training-wise, how much time does it take each day to to train? I train sort of just personally for two hours uh, every morning um, anyway from, from 5 a.m. until 7. Um, so what I, I would do is I'd do my, my own sort of personal core training and then I'd probably put in um, two to three hours maybe um, when I get home from work um, in the evening specifically for my competition form, you know, uh, to get the timing um, and everything like that right. I, I sort of think it's really just sort of like part of my life, so it's just sort of something that I do um, in the course of my day, really. And what actually got you into it in the first place? I would always practice like Tai Chi, um, I think for about 28, 28 years now, um, so it was all mainly for exercise and, and, um, and you know, self-defence, of course. Um, and then a friend of mine, uh, Orlando Garcia from Auckland, um, you know, a, we sort of got together and he said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about maybe doing some competition, you know? Um, hadn't really, you know, entered my, my head before. And I thought, well, you know, why not um, give it a go at something a bit different? And um, I sort of started and uh, haven't back, you know, uh, been to sort of countries I wouldn't have before and, and made uh, friends from all over the world, you know, different countries. So it's been a, a great experience. I was talking to Wushu's Dave Thew. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time for another week and, in fact, for 2012. We'll be back in the new year. Bye for now. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.